Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a little bit of a special one. Uh, first and foremost, it is Christmas Eve, so um, I don't know, maybe think of it as a little bit of a, of a, of a Christmas Day present or a Hanukkah present. We're in the, the middle of Hanukkah as well. Um, and then uh, second of all, this is, I believe, the second podcast that has ever been recorded uh, while I was driving my car. I think last year after the Barf Draft, uh, which is the Bay, uh, Bay Area Roto Fantasy League Draft, I did a little bit of a breakdown uh, on, my live, on my long drive home. This is the second installment of me driving in a car talking fantasy baseball. So hope you uh, enjoy it. Um, cover a lot of ground in uh, today's podcast. Um, just basically some thoughts that I've been having about the fantasy season. I'm going to talk about uh, the two aces strategy that I have uh, discussed on the podcast with Bubba and also just on Twitter and pretty much uh, anywhere I have an opportunity to. I'm going to talk about the different um, uh, player combinations and some some of the approach slash strategy drafting early in drafts versus drafting later. So like if you're drafting kind of one through eight versus uh, the back end of that first round in a 15-team draft. Uh, focusing on infield first and using outfield uh, depth to kind of fill in the gaps of your team as you build it. Uh, stolen bases, because that's everybody's favorite topic. Uh, closer strategy in kind of the, the, the new landscape of closers. And then finally, just a few folks who in the drafts that I've been doing recently have kind of jumped out uh, for one reason or another, including Ozzy Albies, Miguel Sano, uh, and Chris Davis. So uh, hopefully uh, you will enjoy uh, the show. Hopefully the audio is okay. I didn't have my usual mic. I was just recording on my um, uh, on my iPod pod headphones as I was driving. Only one ear, only one bud in one ear, hands free. Don't don't worry about it. There is a little bit of. Uh, at the beginning of the of the podcast, there was somebody who wasn't super interested um, in letting me get on the freeway from the uh, on ramp. But other than that, it was smooth sailing, safe travels. I'm here uh, with my family uh, now in Sacramento. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention. This is the first time I've done anything like this before, but I have in my possession two copies of Baseball HQ's uh, Fantasy Forecaster or Baseball Forecaster. For anybody who has read it before, it's an incredible fantasy baseball resource. It's awesome. It costs like 20 bucks. I have two copies of it. So I'm going to give one of them away uh, to somebody who leaves um, a five-star rating and a review for the podcast. So uh, my DMs are open. So take a picture of that review, um, send it over to me, um, and you will be entered to win a free copy uh, of the baseball forecaster. Uh, again, um, I've never done anything like this before, so we'll see how this goes. But um, yeah, uh, and again, if you, if you enjoy the podcast, only if you like the podcast, leave that that uh, rating and review. Um, it's the only thing that I can uh, I can think of that um, you know uh, I don't know. It's it was the only thing for the giveaway that I could think of. So if you have better ideas <laughs> ideas, let me know. But yeah, just DM me that uh, the rating and the review, and I will um, uh, enter you into the drawing for that baseball forecaster. I'll give that out. Uh, the day after, uh, on New Year's Day. New Year's Day is when I will run that, uh, that 
that drawing. So um, little little holiday cheer and holiday giveaway. Uh, we'll see how uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, all right, that is it for the intro. Sorry for the long intro, but. Um, really appreciate you listening. Hope you are having a wonderful holiday uh, with your loved ones, whether that's family, whether that's friends, however you choose to celebrate. I hope you're enjoying uh, this time of year. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's get cracking. Let's uh, get this party started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast. Today, I am coming to you live from my car. Uh, This is one of the few episodes that we've had uh, directly from my car. So apologize in advance for any um, audio issues or anything like that. But I got about an hour and a half uh, of a drive down to see my family in, uh, in Sacramento. And so there's been a lot of things. I've been meaning to do a podcast for a while and I've been stewing over a lot of things in my mind. And so wanted to use this uh, me in the road opportunity to uh, to share some of those uh, with all of you in the hopes that they might be helpful or uh, spark some uh, some interest in your mind just to give you a sense of what's happening right now uh, I am in my car don't worry I am I am handsless uh, I've got a little pink post-it note uh, on my dashboard that's got the agenda uh, for the podcast which includes underlined draft. So this is going to focus primarily on my experiences so far in drafts. And then it's going to be, I'm going to talk a little bit about two aces. I've obviously been talking a lot about this um, on the podcast with Bubba and on Twitter, but just wanted to kind of uh, discuss that a little bit uh, more and why I like to emphasize starting pitching so early in drafts. Uh, Also thinking, um, uh, I want to share some thoughts about um, what it's like drafting on the front end of the draft and then uh, compared to the back end of the draft and some of the pairings that I've really kind of liked um, that have come together either on my team or other people's teams or just generally thinking about that. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, emphasizing infield early uh, in drafts. Uh, there are a lot of positions that don't have a ton of depth along the infield uh, while outfield isn't as deep as I think it's been in the past because of platoons and things like that, just the evolution of the game. I do think that it is uh, one of the deeper positions, especially for speed. Um, And so that being the case, I think uh, there's some interesting things to think about there. Um, Also, uh, stolen bases. Stolen bases are obviously a big issue that uh, people are trying to address. Uh, They are a scarce resource, one of the scarcest, if not the scarce. Uh, scarcest compared to batting average so looking a little bit at that and then I just wanted to uh, highlight some players that I've just noticed some uh, that are kind of piquing my interest right now Uh, not because of what I see kind of in their performance in the past but just what I've seen in some of the drafts uh, that I've seen develop and then finally I'm going to go take a look at the closer position um, and just uh, closer like approach to closers in the drafts this year uh, in general and so hopefully again uh, this is this is helpful the audio is of good enough quality and my voice is able to hold up uh, the whole time um, that we are able to uh, to really uh, yeah talk a little bit so let's uh, let's dive in so uh, the first thing I've done uh, three four real drafts quote-unquote real drafts and a number of mock drafts and one of the things I think that has been pretty consistent throughout 
uh, in my approach there is taking two aces. And so when I talk about taking two aces, and again, whenever you think about my general commentary, a lot of it is geared towards 15-team leagues, which are in an NFBC-style format. And so that's a 15-team league with two catchers. So whenever you hear me talking about catcher strategy, uh, I'm assuming, just assume that it's two catchers, unless I'm, I'm saying anything otherwise. Relatively short benches, so seven uh, bench spots uh, for both pitching and hitting combined, and then no, uh, no IL. So you know, you if you're going to hold on to a guy who is injured, he's just kind of taking up space on your bench. So that is the context of kind of everything that I'm going to be sharing uh, with you uh, during the podcast. So uh, with all of that uh, stuff out of the way. Well, some people, some people don't like to let other people in on the freeway, so you may have heard me uh, uh, mutter some things under my breath there, but don't worry. I'm driving safely, I promise. All right, so two aces. Uh, I like to highlight two aces, um, and when I talk about two aces, I'm really talking about like not two really good starting pitchers, but generally speaking, two starting pitchers in the first this year, I think it's probably the, the top 18 going off of the board, but really like, you know, the top 15 in a 15-team league are theoretically aces, but I'm trying to prioritize, um, you know, getting two of the starting pitchers there. One of the reasons why uh, this is the case is that it was some of the research that I've read. Um, there was a great article by um, Ariel Cohen, who does the TGFBI podcast and the ATC projections just about um, the value of drafting one ace, right? Um, and the fact that they, particularly among pitchers, are the most reliable, um, uh, you know, uh, I hate using the word commodity, but like they're the most reliable uh, pick, like the top end. It's not surprising. Just like with hitters, you're drafting from the top end. That doesn't mean they're not without risk, right? If you take Garrett Cole at number one, it doesn't mean that Garrett Cole is... N- 90% chance going to repeat what he did last year, right? If we knew that going in, he should be the first round pick um, right off the bat, as we found out earlier this year when there was a poll uh, that was done, I think, uh, for uh, the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. So, but the reason why I like to do that is there is more risk involved in drafting an ace. So you draft uh, any type of pitcher, there's more, there's a higher chance that they are also likely to go on the injured list. Uh, other research shows that we're not actually super good, and I would say this is broader for just overall draft strategy and something that I'm trying to integrate into just how I think about drafting is we're not very good at drafting. Like when you go and look at your team at the end of the season compared to uh, the team you drafted, like there's a ton of busts and, you know, there's waiver wire guys, there's injuries, there's lack of performance, whatever it is, we're just not very good at, at making those picks. Oftentimes we think we are, I think, because you remember the ones that you hit, right? Um, but you easily forget the ones that, you know, for whatever reason, uh, didn't work out and kind of latch on to, um, you know, what you got right. So I'm really trying to think about it in terms of that. Like, yes, there is risk involved in pitchers, but I'm also trying to minimize the risk in my pitching staff and give myself a little bit more uh, reliability. And I like the second ace because, and like, this may be the worst advice uh, in the world, uh, but I'm still going to say it which is, you know, there is more risk in taking an ace, right? Um, And so in taking two aces, in some ways that's an insurance policy 
for that first ace, right? The floor on aces is much, much, much higher than it is for any other pitcher that you're going to be drafting. And so a good example that I'll use, and again, I'm not saying that just because this example happened, that it is like, that it is truth, and this is the way that everything should happen. But an example would be for me last year, uh, in one of my main events, I drafted Garrett Cole and Blake Snell. I went ace-ace. This is the team that did really well last year. And so Garrett Cole, obviously, tremendous year, best year of any starting pitcher, except for maybe Justin Verlander. Um, and Blake Snell was, was a bust, right? For all intents and purposes, he got you some strikeouts. I don't think his whip was god-awful, but his ERA wasn't too great either. Um, but even with that, um, I was, um, you know, the fact that Cole did really, really well and Snell was at least able to provide me with some volume while he was on my team in terms of strikeouts. Um, you know, my, my pitching staff still was able to do pretty well. Obviously, I also picked up Lucas Giolito, which is not something that'll happen in every single team. But in any, in any league, like you're going to need to be able to pick up guys from the wave you're wired who are going to contribute. And so that's one example of, of, of kind of the continuum. And even in another league that I had where um, I drafted Chris Sale and Trevor Bauer, right? Not great. Uh, not a great two, uh, one-two combo in starting pitchers. Uh, even when in the league where I drafted them, I ended up doing really well in pitching because from a volume perspective, from a wins perspective, and also because I, I also picked up Lucas Giolito in that league, um, you know, I was able to still have one of the better pitching staffs in that league, despite really the bust rate on those two pitchers being, you know, almost, you know, like 100% bust, bust on both of them. Like that, that was kind of the floor of what we expected, at least for, for Chris Sale. So even when it doesn't necessarily work out, like you're still at least getting um, the volume of better ratios than you would otherwise and also um, of Ks. So that's one of the reason. And it's also because I think after those top 18 pitchers, like I really don't see a huge difference between the pitchers going, say, after you Darvish around pick like 70. Uh, Paxton is there, who I like okay. Carrasco is there. Um, who I like okay uh, as well. Um, but between like kind of pick 80 or pick 75 uh, until pick 130, I really like a lot of the hitters that are going um, at that point in the draft. And so I don't have to worry about trying to pick the right guy who's going to blow up this particular year. Um, and this is something that you actually see when you look at the projections for pitchers. Like it's much more uh, top heavy. Uh, starting pitchers are than when you look at the projection valuations for hitters, generally speaking. Like hitters, there's like a really big glob of guys who are kind of like, you know, 10 to 20 bucks, uh, 15 to 20 bucks um, who are hitters. Uh, in pitchers, like there's some guys, you know, there's, there's maybe 10 guys who are above 20 bucks. You know, there's a glob kind of, you know, in the like 15 to $10 range not too many between 15 and 20 and a lot of just like bad pitchers. And so what I really am trying to do is get that volume early, which I think is something that differentiates in a lot of ways, the aces. Um, and then, um, and being able to wait a little bit and take some chances on guys who, you know, again, like they, the, the miss rate is going to be much higher than maybe the guy you're drafting around 80, but it's not, uh, that big of a difference. So I'm thinking about like a lot of my starting pitcher threes have been 
Uh, Max Freed has been one in one instance. Uh, Lance Lynn has been another one. Um, so kind of guys who, um, you know, I think uh, I feel pretty confident about. Um, I feel pretty confident about volume. I feel good about the skills. Um, but they may not have the track record um, of some of the other aces or you know, the, the ceiling of some of the aces that have gone before. And so um, really with that 2A strategy, what I'm trying to do is recognize that, uh, yes, there is more volatility in starting pitching than there is going to be um, in, in hitting. Um, but the most reliable commodity is those aces. The most likely to return value uh, is those aces. And by having two of them, uh, I'm really building a very solid foundation uh, in starting pitching. Not to mention the fact that, you know, in, in fantasy baseball, there are 14 hitters and there are nine pitchers. And pitchers can have a much greater impact on your scoring in uh, those ro- in pitching roto categories than an elite hitter can. Uh, like last year, I, I was looking at the percentage of, you know, your total production that you need um, uh, you know, from like a pitcher, right? Like how, uh, in terms of the strikeouts, um, how much do they bring you in terms of wins? How much do they bring you? And a pitcher like, uh, Jacob deGrom, I think last year was the highest or Chris sale. It was like 18 or 19% of what you needed in pitching categories you could get from that one guy. And so really volume and those aces, I feel like give you a really, really solid, uh, foundation to compete. And I feel like I said, I responded to Jeff Zimmerman's tweet earlier today about like, what are the things that you do to make sure you don't lose? I think having a starting pitcher, starting pitcher start makes your team immediately competitive because as long as you're able to cobble together a halfway decent pitching staff behind it, you're going to have a lot of pitching points. Um, You know, again, nothing certain, but, um, and then you're really focusing on you know, your hitters and trying to maximize value there. There's also the two ratio categories in pitching uh, versus the one, you know, batting average category in uh, roto hitting, which I think is also really important because, you know, your starting pitchers are going to drive that, those ratios, um, especially having two of them at the kind of top end. And so that's really why I'm focusing on that 2A strategy in a 15-team league. When you get into the 12-team league, I want to have one ace, and maybe kind of further back in that tier. So like in a lot of my 15 teams drafts, I've been going starting pitcher, starting pitcher. I'll talk about that in a little little bit in another segment that I'm talking about. But, um, you know, in a, in a, in a 12 teamer, you know, I might start out a hitter, go for one of those second tier, <clears throat> um, or even like start out with like a Cole, a DeGrom, or a Verlander in the first round. Um, and then, you know, wait until, you know, uh, wait until that back end, like that Darvish, Morton uh, type range uh, as the one um, you know where uh, you know those would be kind of like the my, the second ace that I'd be going to just because replacement value you know is generally speaking higher. There's more pitchers available on the waiver wire. Streaming's a little bit easier uh, in your 12 team league. Same same goes for 10 team leagues. Again, it all depends on what the league format is, but generally speaking, like general five by five. All right. So speaking of like my draft experiences, one of the things that I've noticed pretty clearly early on is that there's just uh, some different approaches I think that I'm probably going to take drafting early on in drafts. Um, So like maybe the first eight picks um, versus the back end of the draft. And, you know, and for me, that's really like I'm trying to stay in maybe the 12 to 15 range if I'm drafting towards the back. 
I think that middle, middle, like that, that nine through uh, 11 and even 12 spot is just one that I don't necessarily like because I think, you know, if I'm drafting, um, you know, like I want to be getting uh, Garrett Cole or uh, Jacob deGrom with that um, first pick. And so my KDS is probably going to be something like five, four, three, two, one, because I'm going to feel pretty good 95% of the time getting one of those two starting pitchers uh, with uh, the top five. But like early on in drafts, I think um, that is where I'm likely, I'm more likely to employ the starting pitcher, starting pitcher strategy. Um, because what I like as a start would be doing something like a Garrett Cole or a Jacob deGrom. And then on the way back, um, either grabbing a second starting pitcher, um, depending on who falls towards the back end uh, of that second round in a 15-team league, um, or um, picking up somebody like Starling Marte at the back end of the second round draft, somebody who can be a stolen base. Not like anchor in the sense that a Raul, uh, uh, that a Alberto Mondesi is, but like a guy who's going to get me 25. Uh, I feel pretty good about 20 to 30 stolen bases from them as like a starting point. Um, and getting somebody like Marte right there, and then on the flip side coming back around, I think Blake Snell would be the ideal one coming back. I think you know he's about where he was going last year in drafts. The skills were still really, really good. Uh, he was, we forget how good he was before he first got injured. I mean, he was lights out in the first part of the season. The skills are still really strong. But after that injury, after he injured himself in that uh you know, in that freak bathroom incident, like he just never really seemed to be the same pitcher. And so I think you're getting a little bit of, um, I I like Blake Snell um, this year to be a guy who who can contribute solidly um, in strikeouts and ratios, hopefully in wins with an ever improving uh, Rays squad. Uh, And so, you know, anything like that type of a start, um, I really, really like. If I miss out on a Marte or there's not another stolen base anchor there, you know, again, you can pick, you could get some another starting pitcher in the in the front end there, and then go with like, um, uh, you know, an Austin Meadows, or um, you know, there's some decent guys there early on in the in the third. Um, you know, even like, and I'll get touch on this in a little bit. Even Al- Ozzy Albies is pushing up pretty high um, in drafts in the most recent drafts that I've been in. So that's kind of how I would like to start um, when I'm drafting. Uh, early on, um, again, like as I mentioned, I love, I would love to have Cole and DeGrom, you know, in every single draft this year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but after those two, I think Verlander for me is a pretty clear three just based on skills uh, and lack of injury. He's obviously older, but, you know, so are some of the other guys uh, going back there. I think with Scherzer, I obviously believe in the skills. If he's pitching, he's going to be really good. Uh, but the back injury is a little bit of a, of a concern, and that's something that uh, that Verlander doesn't have. Uh, if I'm drafting at the back end, um, you know, and one of the challenging things is, so if you draft that one, that 29 and that 30, you know, your next pick, you know, you're, you're, you're drafting like 55 to, um, you know, you're drafting like 55 is your next pick, 55 to 60 is your next pick. And I think there's a good chance when real drafts come around that the top 18 starting pitchers are going to be gone, at least in NFBC leagues. Um, they're going to be gone by the time you get there. And so you're talking about Charlie Morton, you're talking about you Darvish, you know, Lucas Giolito, all those guys, the guys that I feel comfortable with as kind of my SP2 um, in this instant, uh, all those guys are likely to be off the table 
um, by the time um, I think you get around to your fourth round pick um, drafting there. And so that's why I'm going with that starting pitcher, starting pitcher, stolen base anchor type. Not Jonathan VR. Please don't draft Jonathan VR there. Anything but Jonathan VR, uh, stolen base anchor right there, um, if I can. Uh, on the flip side, and this is something that I did towards the on the back end this time around, I've had two back end type drafts. Number one, I did Verlander Bieber, and then the next one I went Verlander, um, and then I got Jose Ramirez in the second round uh, and at, from the 13th spot, and I really like that. Uh, what I think is tough about that spot right there is, you know, you get like your Verlander or your Scherzer or your Bueller or whoever you like in that spot, your Clevenger, one of those guys. And then when you're coming back around, if you're, if you're, there's a chance that your possible stolen base anchor is gone. Because when you look about, when you look at it, it's like there's uh, Fernando Tatis is going right around the turn. uh, And so is uh, Jose Ramirez. And I love Jose Ramirez in this spot. Number one, because he's a stolen base and anchor. Number two, he has the possibility of being a five-category contributor and is a very solid four-category contributor. Batting average is kind of the question mark, although it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't at least be better than league average in that spot. So really a five-category contributor. But after him, you're not looking like it's guys like Freddie Freeman going, it's guys like Anthony Rendon, it's guys like uh, Aaron Judge, it's a bunch of starting pitchers. And so really there's a lack of stolen bases kind of between Jose Ramirez um, and Starling Marte at the back end. And so what I don't want to do and what happened to me when I'm drafting out of the 10 spot was, you know, go starting pitcher, come back around and not have that stolen base anchor. I'm almost like would draft Starling Marte as high up as like, you know, whatever after Jose Ramirez just to kind of get that. Uh, again, you might think I'm crazy for saying that, but I just value so much having that stolen base anchor to kind of set your lineup um, moving forward. It's not to say like, you know, it's a bad move to go any other direction, but for me, like having a guy who's going to contribute in, you know, home runs and stolen bases and all of those categories um, and a lot of stolen bases is not something that you get from a lot of guys. Um, and I feel pretty confident, which I'll get to in a little bit, in catching up in things like power. Um, later on, batting average may be a little tougher, but I do think there's some batting average assets that are falling a little bit um, in drafts. And so um, that's really like, the, I think the approach right now that I'm planning to take is you know, at, towards the front end of the draft, doing that SPSP or SP outfielder SP uh, straight off the bat there early in the third round, uh, or later on in drafts, got, kind of going after that second pass around. I like Patrick Corbin, I like Lucas Giolito, um, you know, I like Charlie Morton. Um, I like, uh, I'm missing one other, Aaron Nola I like as well. Um, again, like people poo-poo Aaron Nola, but, you know, uh, that wasn't his floor, right? Everybody's got a chance, a non-zero percent chance that they are going to end up uh, being injured and out for the, for, the, for the year, right? Like that's just something that can happen. But in terms of like a full season floor, I think that's pretty close to what we saw from Aaron Nola last year with you know elevated BABIP or not elevated but like much higher than it had been previously uh high home run rate higher walk rate than he's uh normally getting um you know just that really terrible start to the season there and so you know that kind of Corbin Nola Giolito Morton and even Darvish um as your second I feel pretty good about although I will say with Darvish like my my 
my concern with Darvish, Darvish's consistency. Uh, if you look throughout his career, there is just a huge lack of consistency. Like he never really puts it all together for large stretches of time. He also has batted ball quality issues. Like I think he gave up like over 1.5 home runs per nine or like 1.4 home runs per nine um, last year. And that was even a little bit of an issue when he was pitching super well in the second half uh, was, you know, giving up, uh, giving up home runs, but he wasn't walking anybody. So that's obviously a benefit. So obviously if he's able to translate those skills that he had in the second half into next year, he's going to be absolutely lights out. But we just haven't seen that consistency at any point in Darvish's career. And so maybe he'll maybe he'll hit that now, but I do think that there's a little bit of uncertainty with Darvish. Um, I do again not mind him as uh, as an SP two, um, you know, uh, uh, going here. So and again, like every starting pitcher has, you know, is going to have their have their warts, uh, if you will. So that's kind of how I, I'm planning to start off my drafts. And I think that sets a really nice foundation. One thing I like about Jose Ramirez as well is that he's third base. If you look at how at the distribution of stolen bases across positions, you know, catcher, JT Realmuto is has the highest projection, I think, for any catcher, and it's six. Uh, when you look at first base, it's kind of Cody Bellinger and Danny Santana, and then nobody else is double digits. When you look at second base, there's some speed there, but not as much as you might expect. There is speed at shortstop. Uh, there's very little speed at uh, third base after Jose Ramirez. Um, and then... You know, maybe Tommy Edmond as well because he's got the third base eligibility. But again, that's kind of a we haven't seen a ton from Tommy Edmond, so there's I think more uh, more chance for some some variance there or uh, some regression there that we're just not quite ready for. Um, so not a lot of speed in the infield outside of shortstop, which is one of the reasons why I'm kind of steering clear of like a Xander Bogarts, for instance, unless I've be, I've been able to address maybe uh, some speed, you know, like uh, in a major way early on um, is, you know, just that like those stolen bases are sacred, I think. And at shortstop uh, is a place where you can um, get them, I think, pretty uh, in pretty good, pretty good volume. And another place is obviously outfield, um, which is one of the reasons that, um, you know, I really want to target infield early on is that the guys who have stolen bases or in the infield are generally you know, higher up in the draft. And then I also think there's a lot more scarcity um, uh, in that position. So that's a nice little natural transition into um, kind of uh, what I'll call infield first uh, philosophy or, or um, focus. And again, like uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh, contradicting myself because I mentioned getting Starling Marte, you know, as, a, as an option in the second round. I think Starling Marte is a fairly unique uh, profile. Uh, in the game, at least outside of the first round, uh, which is why I mentioned him. But generally speaking, like what I want to do is really, unless value is is presenting itself in a major way, is as much as possible get my infield early on. Uh, when you look at, uh, think about, you know, you've heard, a, if you listen to, a, if you're listening to my fantasy baseball podcast, you're probably listening to a lot of other people's fantasy baseball podcasts. Um, so I'm going to assume that you've listened to people talk about the scarcity of positions. And, you know, when you talk about scarce positions or positions that dry up pretty early on, like, you know, uh, first base dries up pretty quick. Second base for me dries up pretty quick. Uh, third base is a little deeper. I think initially I was a little bit more skeptical. I do think that there's 
a little bit more depth at third base, but it's still, um, you know, like I wouldn't want to be getting my, you know, my first baseman, my second baseman, or my third baseman after pick like 130 uh, as my starter, just because I think that there's, you know, it's just, excuse me, it's just not, it's not great. And so that's one thing that I've been, that I, I used in my latest draft um, is, uh, you know, I, I kind of was in this interesting position. I wanted to try this new, uh, you know, start where I go instead of SP, SP, I go SP, and then Jose Ramirez is my third baseman. Um, and then uh, for uh, getting my uh, starting pitcher, Lucas Giolito um, as well. And so I kind of fell into it, but um, Jose Altuve fell to pick 43, so I snapped him up. So I had my second baseman and my third baseman already. Um, As I came back around, um, uh, Goldie was still available at pick 73. Now, this is probably the first time I've ever had Paul Goldschmidt on a team. I was, it was between him and Tommy Pham. But uh, Abreu went super early in this draft, who's like a primary target for me in this spot. Uh, I was really hoping to get him uh, at that spot, but uh, it didn't work out. So I ended up going Goldie just because I didn't like where I was going to be stuck uh, on on first base. Um, If I didn't go uh, with Goldie, and I felt pretty good about being able to catch up on speed later on with with some, some of the outfield picks. And so uh, I went with Goldie there. Uh, so I started out uh, Altuve, um, or J-Ram, Altuve, and Goldie. Talk about like your peak, you know, two or three years ago squad. Um, uh, and then I went with uh, Tim Anderson uh, after that. So I got my shortstop. Uh, that was a little earlier than I would have liked with Tim Anderson at, p- at pick 78. But um, I really do like Anderson a lot. Um, uh, I like, you know, the average. Again, he's going to regress. He's probably not going to hit 335 again, but the contact rate improved, so that helps support a little bit of that. He puts the ball on the ground a lot, which is not great for his home run production, but it's good from a Babbitt perspective. Um, and then he's got a little bit of burgeoning power. He's still a young guy, and he's talked a lot about how this year uh, he's really learned how to hit. He worked with a new hitting coach last year, um, and so, you know, I really like the p- potential development in an, in an average league only. Obviously, OBP is a huge crater unless he hits 335 again. But um, he is a guy that, um, uh, that, I, uh, that I really like this year as well. So I got him at 78. So I had rounded out my infield already, um, you know, before pick 100. Um, and I kind of like how that left me because uh, for outfield – you know, outfield, there's there's a decent amount of depth, like especially pick through pick 150, and there's a lot of different types of outfielders that you uh, that you can get. Like you got guys who can produce uh, who can produce speed, right? You have guys like Adam Eaton's a guy I like a lot going around pick 180. He's pushing up though. Just heads up to folks, like he's going to be in the, I think like 170, 160 range uh, when all is said and done in drafts this year. So a guy like Adam Eaton, I like uh, Lorenzo Kane to have a nice little bow, ba- bounce back. If you need power, you got guys like Fran Mel Reyes. You need batting average. Uh, you got guys like uh, Michael Brantley. Again, I'm giving one example because I'm in a car and I'm driving and I don't have everybody in front of me. But this is just how I've felt like going through drafts. I feel like there's 
there's uh, a lot of different guys to choose from who can fit kind of some of the needs um, uh, that you have. Uh, so for instance, um, don't tell me I'm going to forget who I drafted as my outfielders. Um, I probably am. I got one really good outfielder who I was very pleased to get. Oh, this is what happens when you're driving in a car. Anyways, I do like outfield um, depth a lot. Um, or, or not a lot, but uh, comparatively, right? It's all relative uh, compared to infield. And so really want to focus um, on that um, uh, getting infield first and then kind of filling in with outfielder. Again, like never pass up a really good value. Like fam at pick 73, deciding between fam there and Goldie was really tough. And part of what pushed me also towards Goldie is the fact that I already have fam in so many different leagues because I love the value that he's going at, um, that I ended up going with Goldie. And I also already had like a decent amount of speed, or at least I felt pretty good about it, but I didn't feel good about it later on because I missed on some of my key targets. So just something to consider as you think about this. But I do like building, like kind of honing in on the infield and then as outfield values present themselves, I'm kind of moving in that direction. As I usually do, I did draft a strong catcher um, in Yasmani Grandal. He fell to me at 108, I think. Um, And so I got him uh, right there. So I felt um, pretty good about kind of that that general strategy I think uh, I think like just the way that I would frame it again would be like focus on infield and then if outfield values present themselves and by values I don't just mean like oh like this guy is 10 spots behind below ADP or like you know past ADP where he's at like this is a steal I'm not even talking about valuations monetarily like I'm talking about people who can check the box of like roster construction bonus and the valuation, right? Somebody who meets the need that your team has from a roster construction standpoint and gives you flexibility down the road, but at the same time, you know, is is a value where where they're going at. So like, that's how I would kind of frame that, Um, you know? And so I do think again, like outfield, I think up until I would say around like pick 190, outfield is pretty solid. Like I think there's some decent outfield options guys with full-time uh, playing uh, who can get you a bunch of different things um, you know like uh, you know if you're dead if you're if you need batting average like Brian Reynolds is available uh, pretty late he's got a solid profile even Luis Arias like you have to compensate for the lack of home runs but from a batting average perspective like he's been following a lot in drafts as well so um, I just think that there's that there's you can go a lot of ways with outfield I think you're less you've got less flexibility on the infield uh, you're going to find yourselves with a lot of power-only profiles, low batting averages. Um, and so I think for that reason, I, I would prefer to fill my infield first, if at all possible, and then supplement it with outfield values early on. And then, um, you know, uh, outfielders that meet my, my team needs uh, as I get uh, further on in my draft. And those become just a little bit clearer. Um, I've touched a lot on... Uh, stolen bases already so I don't want to go into too much depth of it the one thing that I just say again um, I'm like a broken record when I say that is just making sure to diversify your stolen bases as much as possible if you get a guy like an Adalberto Mondesi or a Trey Turner who has a bunch of stolen bases do not sit on your stolen bases 
do not sit on your stolen bases. Get two, three more guys where you get new 20. Uh, make sure that you're building in that insurance. Other guys who are getting double digits. I'd much rather be in the later on in the season and be dominating the stolen base category and be able to pivot and, uh, and emphasize some of my power guys I'm getting off the wire um, or other categories or guys I've, I've been able to accumulate on my team throughout the year uh, than I would just having to chase speed. Having to chase speed is the worst feeling because you lose out in so many of the other categories as you chase speed and it's so hard to hit right like you can have like stolen bases come in bunches a lot of times it's like based on whoever the opponent is or the starting pitcher is or you know whenever your guy who's probably a low obp guy gets on base and actually has the ability to steal right and so they come in bunches and so you can sit there and wait and wait and wait while all your other categories are eroded with billy hamilton in your lineup um but he's just not getting on base enough to steal or he's got a tough catching matchup or his team's way up or his team's way behind, whatever it is. Like, don't sleep on stolen bases. Never sleep on stolen bases. If you've got a decision between two comparable values, like in your valuation system or just how you feel guys are, ADP, go with the guy with more stolen bases. You wanna have that scarce category um, as much as possible. Again, not to the detriment of other categories, but never, like never get that stolen base anchor and be heavily reliant on them to get you stolen bases because if they get injured, then you're screwed in the category, right? And you're screwed in other categories too because you're chasing it to follow up. So diversify that. I believe in diversifying everything. Obviously, like everybody believes in a perfect world or we all want a perfect world, but more than any other category, stolen bases is the one where I really want to diversify because it's not on the wire very often. Um, and when it is, it can be painful. Um, so highlighting, actually, I'm gonna, I'll cover some of the guys who have been kind of interesting to me uh, in drafts recently, like what I've been seeing with them, a little bit of what I've been seeing with their ADP and just some interesting, uh, some things of note. Uh, so closers and relief pitchers. So I think particularly this year, um, you know, I think the ADP is reflecting this even in draft champions leagues where generally closers get pushed up, you know, because you have your, you have your guys and then you're, you're, you're crap out of luck if you, if you don't get them. Um, um, you know, I think more so like waiting to get your closers this year is the strategy um, to employ. I think there are some minor exceptions with that, like, um, you know, like I'm not going to draft him, but uh, I think Josh Hader is an elite reliever. And, you know, in previous years, you'd be getting the top relief pitcher, like a Kenley Jansen or an Araldis Chapman, like in the 40 to 50 range generally. Like that's where Edwin Diaz was going last year. That is not the case now. Like Josh Hader is going around pick 75, and he just brings, I think, something different uh, to the table. He's been very good for the last two years. The volume, compared to other guys who are getting close, uh, closing looks um, is really high. Again, I'm not gonna draft him there because I just think that um, relief pitchers are volatile, right? Like we haven't seen that from Hayter yet, but um, they're a super volatile commodity because, or not commodity, I'm trying to stay away from that, I'm sorry. Um, they are, um, they're, they're super volatile players because number one, like their value to your team in many instances is uh, predicated on them remaining the closers. 
So in a lot of situations, right, there may be a guy who's like in it to win it as the closer. That's great. It's great to have that. But there's a lot of situations too where there are guys who are going, you know, in the top 150 right now um, who, you know, who knows, their team could sign Daniel Hudson tomorrow and they would no longer have as much valuable uh, value as a closer. And so I'm much more comfortable uh, drafting them later on. There's a nice little pocket, I think, of some good closers around pick 160 to 170. Um, you know, Alex Colomay, again, the White Sox situation should be better than last year. And while he's not like anything super exciting to write home about, he's been incredibly consistent throughout his career. Uh, I like Jose Leclerc a lot as a bounce back. When you look at his expected WOBA last year, it was uh, right up there with some of the best relievers. He just got very, very unlucky. And he seems to have the job all to himself there in Texas, especially with the uh, trade of uh, Manuel Clase uh, to, uh, to the Indians. Uh, he's a guy that I like a lot. Uh, even later, uh, Hansel Robles is a guy that I like a lot. I didn't think I'd be saying that because, you know, I'm, I'm, Hansel's so hot right now. But uh, I thought Hansel was really was good last year. I thought he got lucky. But then I dove into the numbers, and damn, if the skills weren't sharp. Uh, towards the end of the season, he started throwing his changeup about 50% of the time. Um, and then he was just absolutely nasty. Obviously, Joe Madden is not, you know, like as wedded to him maybe as uh, if um, uh, if Brad Osmus was still there. But uh, he seems to have a pretty good, uh, pretty firm grip on that, on that job. So I like him a lot. Uh, I like Ian Kennedy. He's a guy that I'm getting a lot. Emilio Pagan was uh, super dominant. Um, I had a conversation with somebody, oh, I'm uh, blanking on who it was. Um, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm in my car. I'd look, you, look it up on, on Twitter normally, but uh, a really good back and forth about like how Pagan actually looks a lot like Nick Anderson, like in terms of, uh, of his fastball being really dominant this year. He gained some uh, miles per hour on that. His slider is also really good. He's got two pitches that he primarily throws and they're both really dominant offerings um and so you know that is a really good uh combination there the rays are really good from a pitching perspective maybe do a little bit of regression because that babip's so low and the strand rate's super high um but again like i think you know just be like ah my reliever is going to get me a three five and be happy if he's under that and he gets you those saves so um that's really going to be my approach uh, going after closers. You know, even a guy like Mark Melanson, he's fallen all the way to pick like 230 in drafts. The Braves have said that he's going to close. Will Smith already has the contract. Melanson already has the contract as well. Smith is the best lefty coming out of that bullpen. And so I think in all likelihood, he's going to be a high leverage type guy. Um, and so I think he will get some saves, but I also think Melanson will get some saves and the Braves should be very good uh, next year. So I think all that bodes well, um, you know, and then there's always going to be the guys who come around later on um, in the season who are in uh, closer by committees, uh, who I think are also going to be uh, providing, um, you know, some real opportunities to gain some value. I think, you know, it's really hard when you draft a, a closer high up for them to return value. Like it's just really hard. They just don't generate enough innings for the most part um, and you can't really bank on the ratios being so elite uh, that they're going to get you um, you know like if you go into a season banking on any reliever getting you like a two ERA or like a, even a two 
like two ERA, like you're just, you know, you're going to be in for some trouble because all it takes is that one outing where, you know, he happens to walk two guys and you give up a home run and, you know, and, and that has a big impact on a, on a relief pitcher. And so, um, again, like, uh, just go after those guys who seem to have access to the saves right now, hope that they work out, uh, go for depth later on in drafts. Like instead of speculating on that guy you love around pick 350 or around pick 300 or even 250, you know, like if you can, if you can muster it, get two guys who are in a committee, you know, who the only reason why they've lost value is because they're part of a committee. Because, you know, if any of either one of them becomes the closer and actually gets access to saves, like you're talking about a really huge opportunity um, um, to, to profit. So, um, you know, that's kind of been my approach for a while now with relief pitching. I think this year, even more so, um, I'll be kind of waiting uh, on relief pitching and attacking it that way. Uh, I'd also go after guys who seem to be getting discounts because, you know, there's some concern that they're going to be traded early on in the season. Um, and that's because, like, we saw what happened with Will Smith last year where the Giants were going to be awful, and they were awful, but they were close enough where they didn't get rid of Will Smith, and they also were going to get the qualifying offer, right? So they're going to get a first-round pick. So unless they get um, uh, unless they get or a sandwich pick, whatever it's called, um, if um, unless they're, you know, uh, going to get better than that value in a draft – or uh, from compensation from a team, you know, then they're probably, they might not get traded, right? Um, and so that's just something to uh, consider with that. I also think that saves really open up as the season progresses. There's like the natural attrition of owners whose work seasons just aren't working out. So there's less competition on the wa- waiver wire. And then I also just think that people have used up their fab. They're much more hesitant to drop like 250 on a closer. Um, and then you can kind of see positions who are struggling and maybe speculate on a couple guys who um, have good skills but don't have the job right now, but their, uh, their fellow bullpen arm in that bullpen is, is struggling. So I just think later on in the season, there's a lot more ways to attack saves than necessarily there is early on in the season. All right, uh, getting to some players. Um, so some players I got thoughts on. So Aussie Albies, I was really excited to have a lot of Aussie Albies heading into this year uh, because um, because I just love like what he's been able to produce the last two years. Uh, very balanced profile, good average, decent stolen bases, decent power. Um, he's almost like a Starling Marte light um, in some ways. Uh, I was really excited because in the two early mock drafts, he was going like around pick 60-something. And so I was really excited to get him uh, at that spot. Well, guess what, folks? That ain't happening. Right now, his ADP uh, in NFBC is 43, uh, and it is moving down quickly. I would not be surprised if Albie settles in the, I'm not kidding here, like 30 to 35 range. I could see him taking the place of, like, Jonathan VR. Um, I feel like that's, you know, like he's going to move up. I think people uh, know how good he is. He's still so young. Uh, He produces five categories. He's in a great lineup. You know, I just think there's a lot of reasons to love Ozzy Albies, and you're going to have to pay up for him. 
two guys who I'm really digging from a value perspective that I don't normally. Uh, number one is Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano is currently going around ADP of 130, I think. He's likely to be dual eligible this year. Um, I've heard a lot of, um, oh, although they, uh, oh, I'm trying to figure out if they, if, I don't think the Twins have signed a first baseman yet. Um, so there's been a lot of rumors that they may be in for Josh Donaldson and shifting Sano over to first base. I think either way, they know that he's a liability at third base and he's gonna get some at-bats at first. Even last year, I think he got something like 12 games um, at first base. And so, you know, I think he's gonna be dual eligible, which is really nice. So, um, you know, if you do miss out on a first baseman early on, and if you look at Steamer's projection for him, it's, it's awesome. He's, he's projected, I think, for 39 home runs, over 100 RBI. Uh, the runs are like in the 80 range because he does get on base a decent amount. The average is a big is a pretty big sinkhole, but it's not as big as you'd expect just because he hits the ball so hard. His stat cast metrics are off the charts, and he's really seemed to be a different guy, a little bit more stable uh, last year. Um, and he, I believe he lost weight. He looked like he was in good shape. No injuries uh, suffered. You know, and so again, it doesn't come without risk, but I do think there's a nice little value proposition there for Sano going where he's going that could round out your squad really nicely if you need power. Another guy who's got a similar projection to uh, Sano is Chris Davis. Uh, Chris Davis's steamer projection also is 39 home runs, 107 RBI, uh, like a 239 batting average, I wanna say. Um, so again, like, and he's going around pick 180. So he's util only, and that, you know, obviously limits his value just a tad bit. But if you can get what he's been producing in the past, like he's 32, there's no reason why his, why he would suck this bad without an injury. He clearly was injured throughout the course of the season. Um, he should get the at-bats at DH there. So I think uh, Chris Davis is a really nice value there towards the back especially if you want some power, um, some power bats uh, late there. So those are three guys that are kind of interesting to me. I also think Adam Eaton is a guy I mentioned. Um, I think he's moving up. I think Lorenzo Cain is also moving up. Um, I think these guys who provide speed like those two do, with, especially with a good batting average, are going to move up boards uh, a little bit more quickly as people realize like, oh man, batting average is tough and stolen bases is tough. Not that people don't haven't already realized that, but I think as you're in the draft, as you get deeper, you're just thinking, man, like, all right, am I ready? Am I prepared to go with Luis Arias right here? Because, like, that's my batting average hope uh, for right now. So um, those are just some interesting kind of developments that I think I'm seeing. Um, you know, starting pitchers, like, there's a lot going in those first two rounds. Um I do think I want that starting pitcher in the first round because I do think that the Cole, Verlander, DeGrom, that trio especially, um, to me, uh, seems uh, the safest. Um, and I think when you look at the projections, in a lot of ways, uh, Steamer agrees with that. So, um, yeah, that's... that's uh, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be the car podcast for today, but just some things I've been thinking a lot about as I've been through, uh, these various drafts. Uh, I do do hope that this was helpful. I hope the audio quality, 
uh, was good enough. If you do have any questions or you disagree with anything I have to say, hit me up on Twitter. Let's talk about it. Um, but this is what it's all about. Like, I'm really excited now that fantasy football is over. We're really going to get into the, like, I've already been engaging a ton with people on Twitter about fantasy baseball and fantasy baseball drafts. And I think it's just awesome that that's already happening and it's just going to happen to a much greater extent. We're going to get all these battles over, like, I love this guy. I don't like this guy. Uh, people going back and forth. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm going to really start digging into the positions and into players a little bit more in depth than I have in the past. Um, so that should be fun, fun as well. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, I am headed uh, to meet up with family uh, in Sacramento, California. I'm going to spend the, uh, uh, the holiday uh, with them. Um, and so really hope that uh, however you choose to celebrate uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, um, whichever holiday it is, Festivus, which was yesterday. Uh, really hope that you are able to spend it as you like to spend it and as you like to celebrate, you know, with friends, family, uh, loved ones, uh, people you care about. Um, and yeah, uh, thanks so much as always uh, for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, and especially uh, listening to the podcast uh, as I drive uh, in my car. Uh, yes. That is going to wrap us up for episode 107 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Happy holidays once again. And just a reminder, if you do leave a five-star rating and a review uh, on iTunes for the podcast, just take a screenshot of that, DM it to me, and you will be entered to win a Baseball HQ Baseball uh, Forecaster. Um, yes, have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, looking forward to doing more and more of these podcasts, both on the road and not. Uh, fantasy baseball season is coming and it's going to be here before we know it. And that is exciting, folks. So uh, best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Take care and be kind to one another. <laughs>